0: Welcome to Food Focus, a weekly companion to the Retail Focus podcast. Each show will discuss news, issues, and product releases in the restaurant, fast food, beverage, and grocery industries. Here are your hosts, Trent Kling and Layton Kling. Welcome back to the Food Focus Podcast with Trent and Leighton Kling. A full show today, we'll talk from the dairy industry and earnings from Lifeway Foods. We'll also discuss Chipotle's latest price increase and macro-level restaurant news. But we begin with Firehouse Subs as the large sandwich chain is looking to compete with a value-conscious customer for really the first time since the company sprang up over the last few years. They're initiating a rollout of a smaller sub line up they're trying to replace the hearty and flavorful sandwich line which despite the name was actually intended not only for the value conscious consumer but also the calorie conscious consumer basically those were different versions of their regular subs with less bread lighter sauces and lighter cheeses as well but instead with this new line that they're putting out these sandwiches will be three and a half to four inches long And although they talk of the calorie savings with this line, I think maybe it has more to do with trying to initiate a value offering than anything else.
1: Absolutely. And you see this with the branding detail from their CEO, Don Fox, as he said, they will be rolling out new menus in each individual location, exploring the idea that people want this variety in the sizes of their subs. So they're going to have a small, a medium and a large. And what we're talking about here is the small version of the regular subs. So they are doing away with the hearty and flavorful sandwich line that they had for a few years. And he said that it really didn't perform that well. And as they rolled out a pilot program, Program earlier last year, with these smaller subs, that it really was actually outperforming the hearty and flavorful line. By about twofold, so this is very interesting here because you see that the hearty and flavorful line tried to have that full flavor with those customers, but it just was not able to pull it off. But here you see that everything is going to be pretty much on point with what they have now as far as their sandwich lineup, and the price point looks to be fairly low for that value-conscious consumer. So keeping that price low is extremely important when you are competing against those larger chains such as Subway. Three ninety nine is what they're going to be starting out at. Obviously, the prices will go a little bit higher as they roll out different subs, but the sandwiches, like you said, Trent, will be three to four inches long, three and a half to four inches long, and they'll be cutting back on the meat, obviously, by about half the normal size of a medium sub. They're keeping, obviously, the same meats as with their normally sized subs, and again, they are going with that full flavor, so they're going to be using the same dressings, the same cheeses, everything you would see with the normal regular sub collection that they they have. The chain will actually be introducing a chopped salad and red delicious apples as well as new sides. And this is actually very similar to what their larger chain competitor did in Subway several years ago when they rolled out packaged apple slices and children's chocolate milk. So really trying to appeal to those calorie conscious consumers or those consumers that are looking for an all natural side option instead of potato chips or something that is a little more calorically dense so a lot of interesting things here with a chain that you and i don't talk a lot about but firehouse subs really has taken off especially in the last five to six years the concept has really been growing especially in some of those midwestern markets
0: Oftentimes when we see a new rollout like this, we approach it certainly from the perspective of how it's going to impact throughput on the restaurant level and how it's going to impact the back end or the kitchen. And in this case, you can even see from the Firehouse Subs website, they already have the small subs, which is what they're calling them, on their website it's basically just half the size of a medium sub. So you're not using any specialty bread. They're just cutting the loaves of bread in half that they would use for their traditional subs. And it's no different than their preparation for catering. Usually their catering prep, they'll cut a traditional sub into three or four pieces and use those for catering platters. So you're really not adding anything different. And the same could be said of the chopped salads. Of course it's going to affect throughput somewhat because you have to prepare the salads which can take a little bit longer But most of those ingredients that you're including in the salad, much like when you get a chopped salad at Subway, they already have on hand. So you're not adding anything to the front end of it. You don't need to incorporate any further ingredients to your sandwich line. And that's the crucial part. They feel like they can win with these two menu additions in both the chopped salads and the small subs without adding too much on the front line. And of course, something like an apple as a new side, that's not going to take up much room either. It's not clear at this point or from the press release exactly where they're going with it, whether they're going to carry the entire Apple and sell it like that as a side or have prepackaged apple slices as their main competitor Subway does. Now they've tested these smaller versions they've done very well and in part this is due to the fact that customers can get the subs that they are used to ordering if they have a preference on their menu maybe it's the pastrami sandwich or maybe it's one of their specialty subs like the hook and ladder or the New York steamer or the Italian they have these subs that they're familiar with they can basically just get them in half size save on calories but also save on money it's a way to deliver on value but also deliver to the calorie conscious consumer and many of these options happen to be under 500 calories which was similar to the hearty and flavorful line that firehouse subs had in the first place. They mentioned time and again trying to add traffic, but they also mentioned trying to increase the number of women coming through the door, trying to increase the overall number of traffic, but particularly starting to market towards females a little bit. And if you listen to their marketing campaigns, if you pay attention to where their marketing campaigns take place, mostly at this point on sports radio you'll see billboards and traditional advertising here and again but much of their advertising is male centric and this appears to signal a change for the company
1: Yeah, and CEO Don Fox in an interview with Nations Restaurant News highlighted that they are trying to bring in higher traffic numbers. Of course, that's the reason any company goes above and beyond and tries to have a brand extension. And in this case, a new option for consumers with this small sub offering. But here you see in that quote, we believe that adding this option to the menu will help increase frequency for our guests especially women. We think that this will be a good option for them and a good chance to lower the check a little bit. The medium may be a little bit too large for some, and if they're going to throw out what they don't eat, they look at that as very wasteful. So here you might be able to save a dollar or two and then also have a little bit less calories with this full flavor option. I think this is a, a natural extension for a company that really has seen increased competition over the years. And speaking of competition, they are privately held held just like their biggest competitor in Subway. And it is interesting. They've noted some massive growth for being a private company. They said they've actually grown over 5%. This is over the last calendar year and they have a 9.6% unit growth rate. So this is very interesting for a company that was only opened in 1994. Currently they have nearly 1,100 locations in 44 states and they've grown internationally as well. Firehouse Subs has in Canada and Mexico. And you look here, Trent, at their brand awareness, you can see that it's really taking off. You look at the number of units they had not that long ago. Back in 2002, they only had 50 locations. They were actually celebrating their 100th location in 2003. So you can see between that time period and 2017, the company has aggressively franchised out their operations.
0: You talk about the potential opportunity for them to market to women, but I also think this helps them to stand out on the health-conscious front. After all... When we've discussed Subway as a competitor, Subway has really differentiated themselves in the QSR space based on the healthful offerings that they have, based on their offerings under 5 to 600 calories, and Firehouse Subs hasn't really gone into that area in terms of marketing themselves. Most of their marketing plans talk about the size of the subs, talk about the hardiness of the subs. They don't really address the calories of the subs. And when you look through their menu, I don't care if you're female, as the CEO mentioned, or male. You're going to see subs that are fairly high in calories, and you don't see an attempt to differentiate themselves on the calorie front until this new small sub program that was introduced and again the hearty and flavorful line was intended to kind of do that but i think it not only missed on the naming but missed on the marketing front as well something i found interesting about firehouse subs and this might speak to the fact that they've grown by leaps and bounds in the last 15 years There are fairly low barriers to entry if you are a potential franchisee. There's a low $20,000 startup fee. Initial investment ranges anywhere between $130,000 to $930,000 for franchisees. And there's a 6% royalty off the top that takes care of all local and regional advertising but what is interesting is that they require the franchisees to be close to the units they own so this is limited somewhat the number of individual locations a franchisee can hold where you see franchisees of other qsrs living in locations that are slightly further flung from their particular restaurants this is not the case with firehouse subs Pizza Hut, Domino's, you look at those franchisees and they might be enormous operators throughout the country yet the franchisee is located in a location that might be hundreds of miles away. If you look at one of the largest Pizza Hut franchisees in the country, NPC International they have locations that are over a thousand miles away from their headquarters so unique as far as QSRs are concerned but this keeps local ownership and potentially Firehouse Subs feels like this model gives them the opportunity to have franchisees that really buy into the overall concept but moreover know the communities in which they are expanding to and that's something you can't really get with a much larger franchisee. They also require that operating partners cannot have other business interests that may detract from location performance, so they're trying to hone in on laser focus rather than having large franchisees that may own other restaurants or may own franchises of other restaurants. They want their franchisees to be focused on just firehouse subs, and they feel like they can grow that brand awareness through that channel.
1: LifeWay Foods, a health company that's focused primarily on probiotic dairy beverages, reported their fourth quarter and full year earnings ended December 31, 2016. LifeWay Foods is a very interesting company. The company was founded in 1986 and has been publicly traded since 1989 and trades under the ticker symbol L-W-A-Y. They are headquartered in Morton Grove, Illinois, and if you look at a map, that's just north of Chicago. And before we delve into the company performance for this last quarter and last fiscal year, we should discuss the business model and a little bit of the history of LifeWay. According to the Lifeway website, Russian immigrant Michael Smolansky began making kefir in the basement in his Illinois home. The cultured dairy drink has been popular in Eastern Europe for centuries, but he thought he could find a way to make it delicious and promote it as one of the biggest health secrets throughout the United States kefir can be fermented throughout a number of different processes and practices. Many are similar to the process to produce Greek yogurt. Lifeway Foods has a general mission and it is stated to provide the best in probiotic and nutritious foods, improve the health of their customers, and to leave the world a better place than they found it. Overall trend, it looks as though kefir really has caught off over the past few years.
0: Kefir has certainly picked up a lot of momentum as people and consumers looking more towards fermented foods and foods with probiotics to cure any digestive ills they may have. And you and I were talking before the podcast, I've always pronounced it kefir, but when you look online, you see that people pronounce it a number of different ways, including kefir or kefir. Either way, any way you slice it, any way you pronounce it, LifeWay's product line has to do largely with kefir, has probiotics, which is said to help with digestion, which again ties into that overall live, active cultures, yogurt type atmosphere that we see marketed through other companies. It's also supposed to aid in overall immune health. Many producers and advocates of kefir, according to just about every piece of information out there, claim that the quality and quantity of probiotics is far greater with kefir than a mass produced yogurt, the likes of which dot every single dairy section in every single grocery store in the United States. Lifeways Live of kefir not only goes with kefir beverages which is kind of the base version of kefir but also beverages with protein added to it protein and oats added to it just oats added to it and also non-fat and energy-based kefir supplements as well as a line of frozen kefir desserts they have kefir spreads and immune health shots as well and then they have supplements in addition with capsules and chewables so a varied product line but it's all kind of centered around this kefir concept and built on the idea that they can assist in digestion and the immune system of their customers now let's get to the fourth quarter results Uh, this story is all about the fourth quarter results sales increased 2.2 percent for the company to 30.2 million in the quarter both because of higher volume and because of a deeper product mix that deeper product mix is nice because for the company they don't have to struggle to keep up with just their two or three most popular products now that they are diversified they've got demand across their product mix and it doesn't create backlogs in their supply chain which also in turn helps overall sales gross profit increased to 8.6 million from 6.6 million last year as a percentage of net sales it increased a whopping 630 basis points a lot of this increase due no doubt to the economy of scale experienced through increased sales selling expenses as a percentage of revenue did increase however so maybe not the best sign for the company on this front to 12.4 percent of sales from 11.1 percent of sales also as you'll have with the company in growth stage, general and administrative expenses also increased. Employee compensations increased due to incentive programs, which is another sign of a growing company. And overall, the company has been doing well. Net income came in for the quarter at half a million dollars versus three tenths of a million dollars or three hundred thousand dollars last year. This comes out to three cents per diluted share versus two cents her diluted share last year. So we're not talking about huge numbers, Leighton, but we're talking about a company, even though they've been around for a long period of time, it seems as though they're beginning to hit their stride and really focusing on growing out the company. And you see this in that increase in general and administrative expenses overall.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And anytime you see a growth there, you're really looking at net sales to see if that's also increased. And that is definitely the case. As you reported for their fourth quarter, positive sales overall for the company. If you look at the management statements after this earnings call, you can see that they are pleased with the company's performance overall. You see that they are trying to extend out in 2017 and increase not only the volume of existing products, but also push forward product innovation to have some more extension in there. You mentioned several of their extensions with protein-based products, energy products, which have been big over the past several years, but then also a kid's version of a probiotic shot. So I think right here, you're looking at a bigger consumer base, and anytime you have that, you have to hope for better top-line sales, and I think they are very optimistic for 2017, but not unnecessarily so. You see that internationally, they now have distribution in the UK, Latin America, Canada and even Ireland. So right now you see that their product base is getting a lot of brand awareness and people are really clinging on to this Kiefer product base that they've had for oh so long. I think right here you're seeing a company that has a very strong strategy that's been intact from the last couple of years. They really haven't changed much. As I was looking through their prior earnings results, really they've been on the same strategy and they've been focused on this product innovation. And by that I mean just last month they announced a new line of an Elixir non-dairy organic beverage and also extended their supplement line. Trent, you had talked about having capsules and chewables in that lineup, but I think the fact that many of our listeners haven't heard about Kiefer really opens up the idea that they still could do a lot in terms of advertising. You had mentioned that selling expenses as a percentage of revenue increased, which means they are getting more focused in that arena. I think they could do a little bit more in terms of social media. I looked on their YouTube page and they only have about a four-figure subscriber base currently on their YouTube channel. So I think they could do a better job at really educating the general public as to what their products can do as far as general health is concerned. A lot of times over the past couple of years, we see a a higher concentration of probiotic products, but very rarely do we hear of this kefir product or this kefir-based product mix that they have been really tailored towards over the past decade. So I think by them having higher advertising expenses, at least effective advertising within the social media realm, I think they could really do a lot to boost their brand awareness and boost those bottom line sales for the company as they are a publicly traded firm.
0: You have great insight into their marketing techniques there at Lifeway. And I agree with you, especially given how much kefir and probiotics in general, fermented foods in general, has gotten press over the last couple of years. You would think that certainly they would be able to drive up some of their subscriber numbers beyond that. Their stock did pop a little bit after this earnings release, as we'll look briefly at. At the share price, it's $9.70 currently as of recording of this podcast. This is up from where it had been trading just above $9 for the better part of the last five days. did pop to near $10 at one point last week, but still fluttering between $9 and $10. That leaves them with a very healthy price-to-earnings ratio. We talked about their earnings, $0.03 per share during the fourth quarter. Their earnings per share for the entire fiscal year, 22 cents per share. So their price to earnings ratio indicates growth or indicates that the market sees possible growth. 45 times is the price to earnings ratio and it also bears mention that their estimated earnings from the market were six cents per share so they did technically miss on earnings but still i think Leighton, you would join me in agreement that this is a company again positioned for growth and part of the reason they missed on earnings is because they're funneling resources internally and you have to like that going forward as they see themselves positioned to make six cents per share in the next quarter well, Chipotle is back in the news once again as they try to sneak in, as some people mentioned, a price increase of around 20% of its locations in an effort to try and increase margins. Now, again, this price increase, is we can't mention enough, this seems to be glossed over by many of the major news outlets, isn't for all locations in the U.S. It's just from 20% of its locations. And Layton, as someone that's fairly familiar with Chipotle, you follow this company very closely. It seems as though they're getting some pressure from the aforementioned activist investors to try and boost their margins, which have historically been... Fairly small simply because they strive for their natural food selection and organic food selection on input.
1: Absolutely. And I really hope I'm able to convey the main points of this story as Chipotle has been in our sights for over the past six months, ever since the food scare of 2016 and 2015. And then obviously Bill Ackman and Pershing Square Capital Management taking an almost 10% stake in the company. They've really been on my radar. I was also a former shareholder of Chipotle. So really a company that has been seeing the lows of the lows and then the highs of the highs recently upon this news. Shares are up significantly over the past couple of weeks. Overall trend, I think this price increase has a lot to do with the pressure from Bill Ackman's Capital Management Group and I think right now you're looking at a company that has positioned themselves for a little bit of a restructuring, a realignment if you will. We talked about them getting rid of their co-CEO a few months ago and then if you look at Chipotle now, they really have brought Back very few customers that they had lost previously. And I think they are struggling to get customers back from those food safety issues we had long talked about. But traffic has slowly picked up, especially if you look at their prior quarter, where they reported top line revenue of around $1 billion, which actually was up 3.7% year over year. They had a 4.8% decrease in comparable restaurant sales, though. And this is a number that a lot of analysts were hoping would actually be positive. For the most recent quarter so one might wonder if the company is doing the right thing by raising these prices again they're raising the prices by not that much but they are raising the prices at a significant amount of current locations and I think it's very scary and very wearisome to be doing that at a time when you are trying to bring back in your loyal customer base. This brings in the common argument between supply and demand. One could think that the customers that are currently at Chipotle are ones that really made it through the food scare and didn't really care much about that negative news or negative press and they kept on eating there anyway. So you really have to wonder if price elasticity is coming into the equation here and if they're really just trying to take advantage or price gouge their current customer base, which would sort of be like penalizing those people that stuck by you during your hardest time. So I am curious to To see if less people are going to be going to Chipotle in these regions of the country that they are raising the prices. The prices are going to be raised by about 5%, or as one spokesperson put it, around 34 cents for a normal chicken bowl. So I think overall you will see maybe a few customers reacting to this in a negative way. I saw that on social media there was a lot of negative press and a lot of negative. Statements regarding this price increase from those people that have been so loyal to the brand. But you've also seen an extension through their marketing campaigns as of late. They're doing some traditional advertising on TV and they even made a press release about it on their investor relations page at chipotle.com. They said, as real as it gets campaign is a national television campaign to convey the brand's commitment to using only real ingredients in their food. So again, just like Panera had in the past, trying to emphasize their clean food and clean ingredients that they use day in and day out. I am curious to see if they're able to boost demand there and then actually take advantage of that price increase or if both of these will end up flopping and we'll see some negative earnings in the next couple of quarters.
0: This is not necessarily new news. If you've been following Chipotle for a while now, it's been pretty clear that margins have been a topic of conversation for them time and again and it appears as though as early as january people were talking about a potential raise in prices to help to balance out the lower margins but again and i can't stress this enough they're only raising prices in about twenty percent of their markets. Now it's not clear exactly which markets will see the twenty percent price increase, but prices already vary at uh, Chipotle from market to market. For example, the Chipotle nearest me, I can get a chicken bowl for six twenty-five. That same chicken bowl might sell for As much as 7 or 725 in other markets throughout the country. And of course, some of their licensed stores and stores in higher traffic areas will boast larger prices. But I think to me, that's the most interesting portion of this story. These increases have occurred at 440 of the chain's over 2,000 restaurants. But it's not clear if these were focused in any part of the country or focused in any area. And in fact, the customers that this may hurt most might be completely unaffected by these price increases because they might be part of the other 80% of stores that won't see a price increase at all. And Layton, you mentioned it's about 34 cents of an increase on your typical chicken burrito bowl. Not a very high increase at all, and still they're seeing increasing input costs because unlike so many other QSRs and fast casual chains that we talk about, some of their food input costs have been going up simply because of demand in the natural food space. We talked recently about Panera's move towards clean food. A lot of fast casual chains are doing the same thing. and This is indeed put pricing pressure on the front end of some of these ingredients for Chipotle as they try to bring some of these more natural foods in. We've seen shortages before at Chipotle and fairly regularly they've had to go to steak or pork that was conventionally raised due to product shortages. But every time there's a hiccup in their supply chain, that also costs the company a little bit too. So this increase in price should be able to cover at least some of that. As you mentioned, Leighton, the market reacted favorably to this announcement from Chipotle. I think most consumers kind of ground their teeth a little bit. Look beyond the headlines, though. I beg you, beyond just the Chipotle is raising prices across the board, this is much different from a blanket price raise. This is instead a very targeted system that Chipotle is using. And because of this announcement, shares are currently riding a one-year high. Layton talked about how they're atop the roller coaster right now, heading into the $460 range after having traded as low as $352 per share over the last six months i don't think this is a scenario where they're pricing some of their customers out and as we've talked about before i think we're slightly bullish on chipotle's prospects going forward in part because they're navigating easier comps chipotle announced in a press release that their first quarter fiscal 2017 results will be released on tuesday april 25th and we'll be waiting with bated breath for this announcement and it's probably something we'll even talk about on next week's food focus because this is an important quarter for chipotle I would expect same-store sales at least mid-single digits. If you don't see same-store sales increases there, then I would be more concerned about Chipotle. But I think you're far more likely to see an increase in terms of same-store sales, regardless of price increases and regardless of the press, simply due to the fact that they're going against some of the worst comps in company history in last year's first quarter.
1: Yeah, and I think some of those reasons are are really built in here. And I think, honestly, you made a really good point here when you're talking about food input costs. Chipotle is not your normal QSR or fast casual restaurant. They are focused on having only non-gmo ingredients and only sustainably sourced meat so i think that is going to cost them in the long term we saw some pricing pressure back in the summer and spring of 2014 as the company had raised the price of steak related offerings by as much as eight percent in some parts of the country and then guacamole obviously the avocado prices fluctuate but it was also raised around 11 percent in that same time frame and august of 2015 again chipotle Had confirmed they had raised prices of steak and barbacoa in their burritos, tacos, and bowls between four and six percent across the country. And I think here this is probably going to be a combination of two things, Trent, those food input costs and then also wages, neither of which were actually formally announced in this press release. But you look at the costs of a lot of companies in the QSR industry or even the full service restaurant industry, and prices of labor have been going up. Either it is because Because of the competitive nature, you see that the labor market is getting a little tighter. So naturally, wages are going to be going up. Again, another function of supply and demand. But then also, you see that minimum wage hikes in certain states have affected these full-service and quick-service restaurants that have been reliant on fairly low wages over the past few years. And most notably, companies that we have recently talked about from their recent earnings calls are Texas Roadhouse and Sonic. Sonic, obviously, being a QSR operator in Texas Roadhouse, a full-service restaurant operator, they had announced several increases in their average menu pricing. So obviously, this is a function of the average price of all items going up about 1% to 2% at each of these. And they had cited, in particular, Texas Roadhouse had cited two states that had raised their minimum wages. And they said that the menu price increases were not at all due to their food inputs, but only because of those increased wages they had to pay out for their cooks and other other staff so I think this is interesting in that Chipotle didn't really make an explanation or didn't give an explanation for the reason behind this five percent price increase but overall Trent you are seeing a company that is rebounding and definitely indicative in that share price you had talked about the shares trading in the $460 range to put this in perspective for our listeners shares are up 18.6 percent just in the last four weeks and so Bill Ackman Getting in around the high $300 and low $400 range is seeing a really big payoff in terms of a longer-term investment, and I am curious to see how this marketing push and this price increase is going to affect them in the quarters to come. So we turn to restaurant sales for our last story of The Food Focus as. According to a federal research data study, restaurant sales growth is slowing in the United States. Sales for the most recent month rose just 2.8%, which is at a slower pace than the month of February, which came in at 3.7%. We should say that this is federal data looking at overall industry sales in the restaurant industry, not same-store sales metrics like we have mentioned via private research firms in the past that look at certain industry trends throughout the country. What is interesting here is that some media outlets were saying that this is a slowdown and this is representative of the restaurant recession that they've been talking about for months. However, this metric is a little bit misleading. We're talking about a slowing in growth, which means that overall growth in the restaurant industry in the United States has been positive. And so perhaps the media is just trying to reinforce what they've been calling a real restaurant recession. And if we take a step back, Trent, it is important to put the general industry performance in perspective for the layperson
0: and this all comes after originally at some point last year an analyst at stiefel said that we were in a restaurant recession and sounded the air horn a little bit media outlets everywhere picked up on it now we should keep this in perspective for our listeners as layton mentioned the true economic definition of a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative gdp or in other words falling productivity in the market taken as a whole now the more general definition is at least several months of negative economic growth however it was the industry as a whole taking a hit in comparable store sales that caused everyone to freak out caused everyone to panic even though recession is a more macroeconomic term analysts and others have loved using the term restaurant recession we've seen that pop up everywhere just about every media outlet has parroted this term out there And initially, when this came out, Leighton and I said, well, hold on just a second. Let's wait. Let's pump our brakes a little bit. Everyone is on this restaurant recession bandwagon. And what we felt like was going on is very similar to what was going on in retail, where there was this restructuring taking place. It's not that brick-and-mortar retail is dying. It's not that retail itself is dying. It's just this restructuring. It's a general movement overall certain companies will adjust and it will be okay and we see the same thing in the restaurant sector there are some restaurants that are just eating it right now ruby tuesday being one of them and other restaurants are having massive amounts of success and then you have your giants your titans in mcdonald's and the likes of wendy's and burger king that across the board have more or less stabilized even though burger king and wendy's have seen a lot more success than the likes of mcdonald's in the qsr space So, Despite the fact that these media outlets have loved using this term to relay some of the comp sales problems that some players in the QSR, FSR, and full service space have been having, we see through these numbers there's still growth in terms of sales. Just because a few chains are down in terms of comparable store sales doesn't mean that you're not still seeing growth. On the whole. And that's something we really wanted to drive home with this story. Even though sales are slowing in terms of their increase or in terms of their growth, sales are still going up. Sales went up 2.8% over the same month, the year prior. This is according again to federal research there's still growth in terms of sales so we don't see that shrinking back in terms of sales like you see in comp store sales for some outlets and even compared to the latest GDP numbers for the U.S. we can see that the restaurant industry is outperforming the nation as a whole when you compare it to other GDP numbers does this sound like a restaurant recession I really don't think so the third quarter growth rate in the U.S. increased 3.5 percent that's including Inflation In the fourth quarter, real GDP increased 2.1%. If we compare that with how restaurants performed in March, they performed 70 basis points better. Now, some would argue that you're comparing apples and oranges because you're comparing March performance against the fourth quarter of U.S. GDP. And you're comparing two different time periods. But still, people don't freak out about the GDP increasing 2.1% and call it a recession. But we've seen that happen in the restaurant industry because a couple of players in the space have struggled. But when you look again at the larger picture, you have a number of smaller players that are beginning to increase in sales, increase in number of outlets. We talked about one of those in Firehouse Subs earlier on in the broadcast, how much they've grown and to what extent they have grown. Part of the overall issue, though, Leighton, is that it's very difficult to get a good picture on restaurant sales. Obviously, we have federal numbers where even in January, we saw a very healthy 6% growth rate in restaurant sales. And when you go back to January, that was kind of the peak use of the term restaurant recession right about that time, despite the fact that restaurant sales were up 6%. You just can't get sturdy, scalable restaurant numbers in the U.S. There's no one metric. There's no one place to look at where you can even get an agreement on the number of outlets here. The National Restaurant Association says there's over one million restaurant locations in the U.S. The NPD group says there's just over 600,000. So I think the larger thing here, Layton, is that, you know, obviously besides making sure your brakes are pumped and all of that stuff before you go plunging off the deep end with this restaurant recession talk is to make sure you're taking things with a grain of salt. Industries on the macro level are difficult to analyze and some players in the restaurant space, whether it be QSR, whether it's fast casual, whether it's full service, some players are having a lot of success and in massive stages of expansion right now.
1: I think that is the one major takeaway from this story. So if you want to put all of the numbers aside, you can. If you want to look at the overall market as a whole, we're talking either retail or the restaurant industry, we can see that you are seeing positive growth. So it's being able to capitalize on that growth, and that's really up to the management of these larger firms. You look at a lot of companies in the industry, you had mentioned Domino's really seeing double digit same store sales comps versus the very large competitor in Yum Brands, which is Pizza Hut, seeing very low single digit comps. So, I think year over year, you're going to be seeing a very competitive market, and it's going to be up to the management and the overarching strategy to decide the winners and the losers. Obviously, not every everybody can have massive double-digit same-store sales, but it's how each individual firm decides to execute and perform that's going to really make up the headlines. And I think right here, if you're looking at the big macro, the restaurant industry is very healthy, especially in regards to the United States GDP growth. So I think right now, the big takeaway here for me is at least looking at the numbers, even in years past, you're seeing that The normal growth rate never really hit below 2.5% for restaurants. We look at the entire 2016 year, you see that only five times did restaurants get below 2.8% growth for a particular month. So this is really good news in my opinion. You can't just compare month over month data. I think if you're looking at the industry as a whole, you're seeing a very healthy market. And I think you're seeing that there's a lot of opportunity out there, especially we talk about Bill Ackman coming in and being an activist investor. He actually has an extremely large stake in restaurant brands, which owns Tim Hortons and Burger King, and they just bought Popeyes for $1.8 billion. They would not buy Popeyes if they thought that the yeah. <laughs> quick service restaurant industry as it pertains to chicken was going to be failing over the next few years. They bought Popeye's for $1.8 billion because they wanted to extract value out of the chain and they saw that they could potentially increase sales for the long term. And then also here recently, Darden reported buying Cheddar's for almost three quarters of a billion dollars. This just after we report that Darden's same store sales is really only positively increasing for their main brand in Olive Garden. Of course, they wouldn't buy Cheddars that they thought it was going to be a failing entity in the FSR space. So I think overall, we're saying that there is growth or there is at least the opportunity for growth. It's how these individual operators execute. It's going to be the major question going forward.
0: Well, we've reached the end of the Food Focus podcast, or at least almost the end. The last segment where Layton and I compare something that we tried that's new to the world of food. And we begin with Layton.
1: I actually went to a restaurant this week, which was a first for me, at least a first over the last few months. Normally, I've been trying snacks as of late, and I told myself I need to stop that. But as a celebration for my birthday, which happened here recently, my mother took me to a Panera Bread, which, of course, as we talked about during this very podcast, has been really bullish on the fact that they sell clean food with no preservatives or artificial colors. Based on their new and revised menu at this particular location, I got the chipotle chicken avocado melt. And I have to say that I got everything on it except the mayo. They have a particular type of mayo on there, a little bit of a spicy mayo. I had everything, but to be honest, it was a very delicious sandwich at a very reasonable price point. I got the medium version, which was coming in around $6 or so, and I got a side of potato chips. And what was interesting is I hadn't been at a Panera in quite some time, Trent, but this was interesting to me in that their potato chips were Panera-branded potato chips. I had always thought that they had sourced that out, but it was a very good sandwich overall, a little bit spicy as there were some peppers on it. As I'm looking now, Trent, I'm trying to find not only the ingredient information on this particular sandwich, but also the nutrition facts, and I cannot find it on Panera's website, so I'm wondering if this is actually a new offering. I look in their sandwich tab, and I've seen everything but. I see the turkey and avocado melt, but there is no evidence of a chicken chipotle avocado melt. Again, a very good sandwich, and I recommend any of our listeners try it. It It's a very good sandwich, and I got it in under four minutes. I actually timed the wait staff as they have been working on their throughput throughout the United States at both franchise and company on locations.
0: Well, Leighton, what I found most interesting about that last segment is that your your mom actually took you out to lunch at, at a place. That's, that's intriguing there. And by the way, happy late birthday. I got dragged to an Applebee's and I say dragged because Applebee's is not a place I usually frequent. I usually, if I'm going to other restaurants in the same sector, will prefer a Chili's or perhaps a local restaurant. But I was taken to the Applebee's and I have to tell you, I was pleasantly surprised with the experience. Now, the throughput, not as good as it was at Panera. In fact, had to wait nearly an hour for the food, and it wasn't particularly busy at about 9 p.m. on a Thursday. But I ordered the Caprese Mozzarella Chicken, and I like Caprese salads as a whole. Usually it comes with whole milk mozzarella, tomatoes, and basil with some balsamic glaze. This one took it to the next level, had some grilled onions on it, as well as some grilled chicken. I'm looking at the picture on the website, and what I got doesn't really resemble what the picture is, but what I had was actually surprisingly delicious to me. Usually I steer clear of Applebee's because of the calorie contents of many of their meals. This was fairly reasonable. It does come with mashed potatoes and the mashed potatoes, I'm sure, were fairly calorically dense, as mashed potatoes usually made with butter and or cream, but the actual caprese mozzarella chicken itself was was good. It had a fresher taste than what I was expecting, and overall, I appreciated the meal. It came at a price point right around $11 at my Applebee's, although I understand that Applebee's changes their pricing structure from place to place and from restaurant to restaurant throughout the country, but I come away with this surprisingly recommending something from Applebee's to our listeners. It's not really my cup of tea. Applebee's isn't. But this particular meal is something that if they keep it on the menu, it's a new introduction. If they happen to keep it on the menu, I'll be ordering again in the future. That'll do it for us on the Food Focus podcast for Leighton. I'm Trent saying so long for now. As always, we remind you to check out Retail Focus later on in the week. Retail Focus, downloadable on iTunes or Podbean. You can also check out our website on Podbean if you go to Podbean and search Retail Focus Podcast. Also check us out on Twitter at The Food Focus where Layton updates all the food stories in between our podcasts on a weekly basis. This has been The Food Focus Podcast. As always, we may have a position in or against companies we discuss on the podcast. Do not invest in stocks solely on the input of the podcast hosts. For more information or for past podcast episodes, visit us online at retailfocuspodcast.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at The Food Focus for news in the restaurant, fast food, beverage, and grocery industries.